As a kid, that was the most annoying part about Star Wars, is not being able to read fast enough uh, to pick up what's going on. Uh, so uh, with that, let me, uh, let me pray. Uh, uh, God, I, uh, Lord, I thank you, Father, for that reminder in that last song, Lord, that as Christians, we will one day stand before you joining, joining with the angels, shouting, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, knowing the song that we'll be singing in a few moments, Lord, and that reminder that we will forever praise your name. Lord, would this be a moment where we understand, Lord, that there is an enemy, there is a dark side who does not wish for any of that to take place, who wishes for that to be prevented, Father, I thank you that you are all-powerful and that the dark side has no power in light of God Almighty. In your name, Jesus, King Jesus, amen. Josh Raj uh, sent me uh, this article uh, from, a, uh, from a school. Uh, a, I forget which school it was, but uh, UCSF.edu, whatever school that is. But anyways, he sent it to me. Uh, he, he came across it, and he said, like, hey, this might, this might work for the dark side. It's an it's a educational article. It's, a, it's an academic article about uh, the tobacco companies. Uh, and if you were to read this, in short, uh, what, it, what it is saying is that they, they did a study. They, they, they talked to somebody in a marketing department for the tobacco company, and, and this person said that our marketing strategy is doubt. It says it right there. Doubt is, is also the limit of our product. He, he, he will say in this article that for the tobacco company, there is a, a wealth of research. You can Google lungs on tobacco, and you can't hide what it does to your lungs, that, that you can talk to a doctor, you can talk to those in science, those in the medical field, that there is nothing healthy about it. There is no scientific proof to say smoking is good. And so for the tobacco company, they say right here in an academic paper, our biggest marketing tactic is to create doubt. If I can create doubt in the research, doubt in, in what the facts may or may not be saying, all I can do is create doubt, have that, have a little, be a little wedge in the door to hopefully blow it wide open. We have a dark side. We have an enemy who thrives just like the tobacco company, who wants nothing more than to, to have us have that little wedge of doubt to then blow the door wide open. The craftiness of Satan demands the tactic of doubt. How many of us or how many of us know people that were so strong in truth, so strong in knowledge, but that little sliver of doubt and now, where are they to be found? Our enemy is crafty. Our enemy is, is we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 today. He comes onto the scene as a, as a snake. Three chapters in. The last time we will hear of our, of our enemy is three chapters to the end. Three chapters to the end in the book of Revelation. And then on every page in between, we see the outcome of his deception. We see the outcome of his crafty nature. We see the outcome of a broken humanity. Our enemy was once as high as one could go, being, being right there as, as one of the head angels before God Almighty. He was as high as one could go, but it wasn't good enough. 
He wanted more, 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 and was thrown out of heaven, thrown out with other angels, and he will be brought low, as low as anyone can be brought, as high as one can be, and as low as anyone can become. And now he is bent on destruction to bring us into his dysfunction. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn too far. Just turn a few pages. It will also be in the app. It will also uh, be on the screen. Here is the nature of our enemy, the dark side. Now the serpent was more crafty. A word that, that if you use it in, a sport, in the sports world, that somebody is crafty in their trade, that can be used in a good way. It can be, it can be a positive term. But when used for evil, this is, you don't want to be, oh, he's crafty with his ability to, uh, to run the books. It's not always said positively. It can be used for evil. Then, then all, any other beasts of the, of the field that the Lord God had made, the crafty nature of our enemy, the strategy here is to come, come to people in an unassuming way. Why do I say unassuming? Why, why does he show up on the scene as, as a serpent, as a snake? If you look through chapters 1 and 2, what, were, what was Adam and Eve's job? Their job, one of their jobs was to name the animals, to, to hang out with the animals, to associate with the animals, to say, that's a donkey, that's an elephant, to name the animals. So if said animal comes your way, your guard's down because you're familiar. It's one of the reasons why most car accidents will happen close to your house, not only because it's the road most traveled, because when we get close to our house, our guard is down. We know the road. We can play on our phone. We can, our mind can go other places, and all of a sudden our guard is down and can lead to destruction. So Satan comes in what is familiar to us because our guard is down. If someone drops in front of me right now a, a pound of cocaine, it doesn't tempt me. But if he comes in the unassuming, through a friend, through, through, through whatever other means it might be, it might start this slippery slope. He, if his end goal is to get me to do a pound of cocaine, then there's going to be a world, a whole slew, a whole trail of unassuming steps to get me to that point. And I'm thankful that as a church, we take $5,000 plus every single year and support America's Keswick because the drug epidemic is a huge thing in our society, in our county, and so we support them. And thankfully, they sent us a video. I want you to check out what this says. Hey, everybody. My name is Robert Kenny. I'm a graduate of the Colony of Mercy, and I came here in 2015 with a heroin addiction and to be honest with you, the best definition of who I was when I came here was a junkie. God saved me through that. But as I look back at my past, there was a lot of compromises in my life that led up to that point in my life. See, I, I, I grew up knowing right from wrong. I mean, I think we all know right from wrong. And it was at a point where I was like 12, 13 maybe, and my friends, they started to smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol, and I wanted to be accepted by them. You know, that was the cool thing to do, so I joined in, knowing that what I was doing was wrong. But the more I did it, the easier it became to do. And the more I did it, the more accepted I was. And I, I began to be accepted by these people that I call my friends. Well, long story short, the heroin 
was an end result of me compromising on what I knew was right from wrong and choosing the wrong. I'm thankful for his testimony. I'm also thankful that now he has found freedom in Christ Jesus and plays a major role at America's Keswick being used for good purposes. But that, that road started with the unassuming. That road started with, well, it's not, just, it's not that big of a deal. And it then led to, well, if I compromised here, I can compromise here, I can compromise here, I can compromise here, until it's blown wide open. So what unassuming thing in your life right now, if given over to evil, would blow the door wide open? You fight with your wife, you've exploded, but you've never hit her yet. It, it's, it's only a lie on your timesheet. It's not that big of a deal until it is. You're, you're worried. You know what? The dr my drug of choice is only hurting me until it hurts others. I don't gossip that much. I only gossip to my bestie. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of flirting. My wife knows I'm doing it until she doesn't. What unassuming things in, oh, unassuming thing in our life, if given over to evil, would become a very big deal? Maybe Satan hasn't blown the door wide open in any of our lives. But where does he have a wedge? Our dark side, our enemy, often will take the unassuming position. So here's now the setup. Here's now where, where our story now continues to go. He said to the woman, did God actually say? that you should not eat of any tree in the garden. He takes the focus away from God and now puts it onto a tree. And the woman said to the servant, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of any of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. If only Eve would have said no. If only Eve right in that moment would have, would have, would have said no, like I, I know the truth and I, and I know what you're doing here. And if she would have, if she would have walked away. She's, Satan asks a, a unique question to get her to, to start rehearsing the conversation, to open up a, a world of doubt. Why, why does he go to Eve? Not because Satan is sexist. He goes to Eve because Eve wasn't there as part of the original conversation. She had not been formed yet. What, what Eve just said was a conversation between Adam and God. So she heard it secondhand. And so because conversation has a way of polluting conversation, it opened up doubt. Here's what it says. What, what it says in chapter 2, it's between Adam and God. Do you, do you catch what it says at, at the end? Uh, knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall what? Surely die. It's not that you might die. It's not, she, what she does is she doesn't necessarily misinterpret God, but she blurs an important nuance. She's careless in this. She dumbs it down. God said, this is the absolute result. This is what will happen. And how she explains it just dumbs it down just a little bit. And there is the open door to our enemy, and he jumps on it. It's intoxicating, isn't it? It's an intoxicating thought that God's judgment is not that big a deal, that it might not happen. Isn't he still using that tactic today? If he creates doubt, a doubt in this world, I don't need to think about the judgment to come 
because I'll just ignore it and eternity will play out as eternity plays out. It's still very much an intoxicating uh, thought. He threw a conversation, causes, causes Eve to, to doubt the validity, the magnitude, the reality of punishment. It's not that big of, of a deal. Eve, don't you want to know right from wrong? Don't you want to be so wise and know good and evil? Take a step back. Doesn't Eve know that? Didn't she say that? Didn't she say, this is good and this is bad? But he creates a little bit of doubt to say, you know what? The question isn't really if, if it's good or evil. The question really through, through an element of doubt is, whose will is greater? God's will or your will? Whose will is greater? Who, who are you going to go after? The temptation to be independent from God and no longer be dependent upon God. To no longer see our dependency upon God as freedom. One of my favorite moments from our time of prayer, we just got done 21 days of prayer and fasting and we saw God move through that. One of my favorite moments in that time was, was a group of us that met right over there in the living room. And what I did every time I was leading, I would ask, what is God teaching you uh, and how can we be praying for you? And, and one gentleman said, you know what? God is really teaching me that I need a budget uh, and that I need to budget my money, but, but I don't want to budget my money because I really like being generous. <laughs> and, and so he and I talked and I was like, yo, that is awesome. I love your heart. And, and I know that you, you don't want to be tied down to a budget. You don't want to be dependent upon a budget because when, and he said, like when an opportunity comes away to help somebody in the school, to help somebody in my job, to help somebody in the gas station, I want to feel like I can do that and not be dependent upon a budget. I just want to go when I want to do it. And so I said to him, like, what if you simply budgeted $200 a month to be generous? Then you're dependent upon your budget, but in being dependent upon your budget, you know that the money is there and your budget actually gives you freedom to do what you want to do, knowing that the money is there to do it. You and I have dependency upon God, but our dependency upon God is our actual freedom. John Collins said of this passage, God intended that through the tree, humans would come to know good and evil. Rather, uh, either from above as masters of temptation, or from below as slaves to sin. God, although complicated, God as though way above us, he also keeps things very simple. Simplicity is, is a part of the strength of our God. We value simplicity, and I believe simplicity is hard. Simplicity takes uh, priorities, and simplicity says this is what we're going to be great at. This is what we're not going to be great at. This is what we're going to focus in on. God made it simple. This is good. This is bad. Inherently, we know right from wrong. And God made it really, really simple. And what the enemy did was slither his way in to Eve and say, you want the joy of independence. You want the joy to do whatever the heck you want. But what he didn't tell her is rejecting the freedom that we have by dependency in God is to welcome dependency on our own resources to welcome dependency on, on other things, to seek autonomy, freedom, and power is to forge new chains. And so what you're fighting right here and right now, is it possibly the delusion of self-independence? We grow in a world that loves being independent, 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 independent. And what happens is I want more of me. Let me be God. I want less and less God. A society that wants less of God, you know what it becomes? Godless. You know what a person that wants less and less of God becomes? It becomes a godless person. How is wanting less of less of God, how is that working out for society? Does anybody turn on the TV and say, this is a godly society? 
Or do we not look when we turn on the TV and say, this just might be godless. And therein lies our battle and our struggle. The enemy is a liar. And so there comes the action. And so when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that, the, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who, who was with her and he ate. He didn't have to tempt Adam directly. He let the woman do that. He let the woman be the part of the temptation to the man. And what was the man doing there the whole time? Sitting in silence. His silence was a form of encouragement. And there, as this scene unfolds, both, both our enemy and all of his minions were sitting there basking in joy because they have their first victory. The father of lies gets his first victory. When? When Eve saw, she gazed and she lusted after the fruit. It's a form of lusting after the flesh. There's, we'll say that often, right? There's no harm in looking. There's no harm in looking, but temptation will often come through the eyes. She lusted after something, uh, after the food, that it was good for her flesh. It's the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant. That's, that's lust of the eyes. She saw that this would make me wise. This is lust of, of pride. And when we see this, when we see everything that she was saying, there's elements of truth with a little bit of lie. And what a dangerous combination. Is it good for food? Sure. Is it pleasing to the eyes? Sure. Will it make you wise? What? Isn't that God's job, not a stupid tree? A little lie in the mixture of, in a mix of truth leads to all sorts of destruction. Satan turned the choice into a chain, and, uh, and, and with one bite, she goes from a perfect being in a garden to now a sinner. Her choice became a chain. She listened to the created instead of the creator. She opted for her impressions over instructions. She made self-fulfillment her goal. Now, when I, was a, when I was a youth pastor, I ran an event called, uh, called Nightflix. And every year, I'd buy sunglasses as a promotional tool. And uh, it, always, it always just like blew my mind the styles uh, that teenagers were into. And there was about a one-year stand, I think around the time that the Jersey Shore was getting, was, was popular, that they said, you need to buy these sunglasses as a promotional tool. And I was like, y'all look stupid. <laughs> like, like, I know I bar fashion, overalls, pastor, and everything, but like, like y'all, like, if I was wearing my overalls and these glasses, like, who, are, who am I? And I, I was looking, I was like, all right. I'll buy these, and I don't know what I'm promoting anymore, but I guess we'll try to promote this event. And, and, and this week, I remembered back to the day and thought how stupid that looked and felt, how stupid it feels to be wearing these right now. They make no logical sense. Nothing. These accomplish nothing but an annoyance, like nothing, nothing. And I like racquetball, and that's another type of wearing eyeglasses. See, when I, when, I, when I play racquetball, I will put these bad boys on, and it will protect me from somebody swinging a racket and hitting me in the eye because you're, you're in close quarters. But another major thing that these, that these do is when that racquetball, in, in, the, in the rare chance that that ball goes off the wall and hits you perfectly in the eye, the nature of the racquetball ball is that it can create a suction and do some very serious damage to your eye. And so you wear these safety glasses to protect yourself so that you can play the game a little bit more freely, freely, not worrying about injury. How and what are we gazing at? 
Through what lens are we gazing at, at Adam's? Ava, can you come sit in this chair for a second? Thank you so much for allowing me to steal you and, and not complaining after church to me. Uh, so, uh, so, Ava, if you could, if you could hold... You were just all about the Daniel fast. See, when, when, when you could hold that, and we, we do this, we gaze through things through a certain lens. I can gaze at, at these Laura bars. They're good. They have some semi-sweet chocolate chips, but, you know, they're, they're overall pretty good. I will gaze at that with, with my seat. Like, that's good to gaze at. But then as you're, as you're munching on the Laura bars, and your sons and your kids are rocking these in their school lunch, all of a sudden you're, you're over there, and you're like... You're looking from this safety position, you're like, huh, that looks better. I should do that. And eventually you gaze and you gaze and you gaze and you finally take that one bite. And that bite becomes another bite and that bite becomes now uh, uh, a problem in, in your health later, later on in life. My wife works very hard. She's, she's the breadwinner in, in our family and, and I have a problem sometimes with Amazon Prime. I, I have this problem where I can, I, can look, I can look at all of her hard work and I can love when she gets paid because I can go on Amazon Prime and get things in two days. I can look at her with safety glasses, respecting her hard work, her efforts. I can respect all of that. But then when payday comes, I can put these bad boys on and be like, I've got to have them. I'm looking over there and thinking in two days I can get what I want. It becomes tempting and tempting and tempting and tempting. I gaze and I gaze and I gaze and all of a sudden, click, 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 and I buy. I can look at my wife and say, man, I, I love her. I want to spend time with her. I want to hang out and sometimes cuddle. I, I, I love those things, are, those, things are, those things are great. But then, but then I can also think, haven't, haven't we been there? Like, oh, time with her would be great, but if I do, if I do this, this, and this, I can make, I can make all sorts of money. I can, I can be profitable, I can, I can spend my time, or I can, I can be wasteful with my money. I can, I can look upon my wife with my safety glasses, this is where my focus should be, but then I can take it off and look over there and say, well, I can make money, or I can spend money, I can do this, and then not spend time with what is important, what would keep me safe and out of trouble. Some of us are, are we are married, and we need to put the safety glasses back on and focus in on what's most important. We need to stop gazing at the person in this seat. We need to stop gazing at what's on the screen because the gaze turns into the action and the action turns into the fall. Through what lens are we looking through life? Because we'll find that as we look through glasses like this, we'll find that we're looking behind bars. <laughs> we'll, we'll find that the temptation overtakes us and now all of a sudden, you're rocking glasses like this I don't feel secure up here with these glasses on. I feel all sorts of naked. <laughs> because that's what it leaves us feeling. You, Ava, thank you. You can have a seat <laughs> so much. I'm going to get these stupid things off. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> it's that scene from The Hangover. This is going to be super. <laughs> Suck. Okay, we're here. We're back. We're back. We're back. Okay, don't. 
Cut that out. Edit that out. All right. It's that scene from The Hangover where Will Ferrell has not drunk, drank for a few weeks, and all of a sudden he gets that funnel and he says, fill it up again. It, it's that scene. It's that moment where when temptation overtakes you, where all of a sudden the, at, the addict relapses just one time and, and it leads to death, where the former gambler says, it's just one more bet, and all of a sudden you lose it all. It's when that harmless flirting turns into sexual activity. It's when you're fuming over your, with your spouse, and all of a sudden you explode and you say or do things that you cannot take back. It's when that person is tailgating you, ticking you off, and all of a sudden you break check the crap out of them, and now there's a big old accident. When we do these things, we are left feeling naked when it all comes said and done. And so here is the result. Then their eyes were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Did they know wisdom? Did they know right and wrong? No, what they instantly knew was nakedness. The knowledge that they gained left them feeling naked, a feeling that they had not known before. They did not gain wisdom. They gained the feeling of nakedness. Now, they will learn to hide that feeling, but Soon they will hear the voice of God. And they will never be able to hide their feeling of spiritual nakedness. Satan, the father of all lies, lied. And they will hear the voice of God and the fall will be complete. The action led to something that cannot be taken back. Now it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know what to do with myself. I am so used as a Patriots fan to making this a national holiday. And so I left watching this great Hulu special on Aaron Hernandez because I was like, what else am I going to do? I can't, well, I can't prepare for the Super Bowl. So I watched about an old patriot. Check out this scene from his, his life. It's that sobering reality where all the rumors become true. It's a sobering reality that we just watched the last time he would ever see his wife or his kid in that capacity. The last time that he would ever walk in or out of his house. He would end up behind bars. He would end up in trial. He would end up killing himself. All the temptation came to a sick and twisted end. He ended up in his lust for more and more, his lust to hide, hide, hide. He ended up losing more than he gained. In discontentment, we become slaves to more. We'll look at God as a buzzkill. We'll look at our lives with discontentment. But you know what? Adam and Eve had it all. They had the garden. They had blessing. But in their, in their discontentment, when doubt came in and doubt said, you want more and more and more, you know what they stopped doing? They stopped looking at the blessing of the garden. If only they would have watered the garden. If only they would have stopped saying, well, the grass is greener over here. Well, it's time when you think that the blessing before you is no longer good and that the grass over there is better, it's time to water your own darn garden. God has put you someplace for a reason. How many of us in our discontentment are seeking more? It's time to water our garden. Our big thought for the morning is that we must be clingy because Satan is so crafty. We must be clinging because Satan is so crafty. We must cling to Jesus because in Jesus, life is good. 
In Jesus, life, life isn't always easy, but in the midst of hardship, we will find peace. We cling to Jesus so we don't lose sight of the blessing that is before us. This is one of the biggest temptations in my life. Three days, three days before, before starting this church, I got a phone call from the school that we were renting. We had just, well, received $160,000 worth of equipment. We designed the whole kids' area around four classrooms. And three days before we're, we're ready to move into the school to do the whole portable thing, guess what happens? Hey, BT Dubs, you don't have the classrooms. Now we're going to put you in the cafeteria. Well, BT Dubs, I just spent a butt ton of money. And this is a big old hiccup. We were on social media blowing up about the gas day. And there were people in our, in our culture with a certain agenda coming at us and looking, trying to force us to talk about things publicly that we don't like to talk about publicly. Not that we don't want to talk about it. We just choose to have private conversations. We just choose to talk one-on-one -on -one because that's where we can express our heart and our love for people. But they were trying to force us to, to say things publicly that would lack heart. We don't want to play that game. Homie, don't play that game. <laughs> and so Bo Chancy, who wrote the book Pray for One, where we, where we, get, that, where we get that term, He's a friend of mine, and so uh, I, I called him up, and he's like, Jason, look at what's happening right now. I, I barfed all over him. He's like, look what's happening. The enemy's winning. God, didn't God say, didn't he say, didn't he say that I will give you life and life to the fullest? Jason, you've lost that. I got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. I got the joy of the Lord where? Down in my heart. When I have Jesus, I always have joy. And my enemy is a giant buzzkill wanting to take that away from me. Screw him. I've got Jesus. Cling to Jesus because <laughs> Satan is so crafty. He comes in an unassuming way, and we lose joy when we think that. My God is assuming. I looked up this word, and as, as, we, as we close up our time and go into another time of worship, this, this second definition, take or begin to have power or responsibility, that, that I, have, I, have, uh, I have a Jesus that wants to assume all of me. He wants all of me. He, want, he wants to be all-assuming. That's my Jesus. But in, when we create this doubt, we no longer want to cling to the assuming nature of Jesus. And so my question to us is how? How do we fight our enemy? How do we realize the dark side? We cling to truth. Truth is going to set us free. Truth is going to dispel lies where, where if we did not know truth, we would not know the lie. And so what do we need to do? We need to cling to truth, cling to Jesus. What is the truth of Jesus? Jesus did not come to be a nice addition to your life. He came to assume all of you, all of your being. And Jesus is awesome. Jesus is worth singing about. Jesus is worth praising. Jesus is worth erupting over. And where Satan has that little bit of doubt in your life, that little wedge that's about to blow the door wide open, we cling to Jesus and we slam that door shut. Shut the door. Shut the door. And cling to Jesus, let's sing. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.